Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you're listening to a new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we're discussing Matthew Vaughan's Argyle. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. Now, in Argyle, reclusive author Ellie Conway is swept up into a world of espionage when the plots of her fictional spy novels begin to mirror the covert actions of a real spy organisation. Accompanied by a mysterious spy named Aiden, Ellie races across the world to stay one step ahead of the killers as her imagined world and her real one begin to blur. Argyle is directed by Matthew Vaughan, who of course has brought us the Kingsman franchise and Kick-Ass. It's from a screenplay by Jason Fuchs, who has brought us Wonder Woman. Argyle stars Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Rockwell, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara, Henry Cavill, Dua Lipa, John Cena, Ariana DeBose, Samuel Jackson, Sophia Botella, Richard E. Grant, and Claudia Schiffer's cat, Chip. (laughs) (laughs) And Matthew Vaughan's, because they're married. That's right, which I know we mentioned on our episode where you spoke to Matthew Vaughan, the director of this film, that I was coming to terms with a lot of facts that came at me this week, which was (laughs) the fact that Matthew Vaughan is married to Claudia Schiffer and that their cat is in the film. But I found out about the cat first. Then you're like, oh, by the way, they're married. I was like, hold on a minute. I just need to sit down. (laughs) There's so many meta twists and turns with a Matthew Vaughan spy film, and we'll get into them a bit later in the episode. But let's just begin with an overall picture of Argyle. Mm. You know, two words are always used to describe Matthew Vaughan's films. I think they fit very well here too. That is music and mayhem. (laughs) Yes. It's from the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughan for a reason. This film is very twisty, turny, lots and lots of ins and outs and hidden gems and clues and 
folds in on itself and mm. it's, it's yeah. And there's a big mystery behind the author of the book that the film's based on too. Yeah, so there is a really fascinating backstory to the film surrounding what you just said, the unknown author of their unpublished novel that the film is based on. Mm -hmm. Now, you came into an insight that this unknown author who doesn't want to reveal who they are, Mm. they're apparently a female and they're Australian. Yeah. It's so interesting. And what that means is that this adaptation isn't traditional in any sense because the text that the film's based on, no one's ever read other than the filmmakers, presumably. And their agent, I guess. Yeah. And there's been a lot of talk about this being a marketing ploy for the film. Like Ellie Conway doesn't exist. Mm. And technically, I guess she doesn't because it, it is a pen name. I'm sure it's a pen name because there there is no Ellie Conway Australian author. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to find out who it is. But Matthew Vaughan has said unequivocally that it is a real person and that she will come out of the shadows when she wants to. But at the moment, she she didn't want to. But all the hype is kind of making her, putting her in a position where she feels like she has to maybe. I know who it is. It me. <laughs> it's you. I was going to say it's uh, it's actually Claudia Schiffer's cat, Chip. <laughs> That's the author. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound all that ridiculous given the film that <laughs> has been delivered here, right? So, fuck, anything's possible. In the context of a Matthew Vaughan film, it could happen. Yeah. Oh, gosh. We're not going to reveal anything in this episode because our episodes are non-spoiler. We always try and do that. Mm. But there are quite a few plot twists in the second half of the film. There's a big, big one. Mm. And then there's a few smaller ones. And some people have criticised that it can get very convoluted. Yes. How did you feel about the third act? Oh, um, I I didn't enjoy this movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you because you enjoyed yeah. Kingsman, but you did not like Kingsman The Golden Circle. It's a film that irates me to this day, just even saying it out loud, <laughs> which is just so bizarre. I'm sorry to trigger you. It is triggering because I love, you're right, I love the first Kingsman movie. I love the prequel film that they did with Harris Dickinson. The King's Man, I thought that was great fun. And I am such a fan of Matthew Vaughan as a visual director. And we'll talk about him a little later in the episode. So then when Kingsman Golden Circle came about, I was like, what the fuck is this? This is awful. And even Pedro Pascal couldn't save it for you? No. Like, it's it was an unsavable, unsalvageable Aww. film in my in my eyes. And I feel like Argyle is kind of part of that failed Matthew Vaughan film world for me. And I'm really, really upset that I didn't enjoy this, but I thought it was a bit of a disaster. (laughs) Right, yeah. And I don't think you're alone in that sentiment looking at the online chatter about this film as Mm. as it's being released. I had a great time though. It is bloody silly. Let's just say that. It is ridiculous. It's over the top. It's outrageous. But it's pretty to look at. It's fun to go along with. I will say Mm. the thing that got me was the runtime. It's too long. Yeah. It could have done with a few yeah. chops, for sure. It was so goddamn long. And you know this, Lee. When I go to the cinema, that is almost the only time that I can really switch off from the outside world. Mm. My phone is away. I never, ever look at my phone or my watch in a film. Never. Not even in Martin Scorsese's Kills of the Flower Moon, which is three and a half hours. <laughs> and that that is a long fucking movie. But that is brilliant cinema. Go check it out. You can stream it on Apple TV Plus right now. But I checked my watch in this movie Mm. and it still had one whole hour to go. And I was so bored. I was so bored. I was like, no, please don't make me sit here for another hour. So 
I am excited for you that you enjoyed this movie genuinely. I don't want to bring people down with my sentiments of the film. I'm really happy for you that you had a good time. I had a really good time and it's by no means a perfect film. Mm. Okay. It does drag on, as I said, and I felt it as well. I felt it in the third act. In between the big action sequences, I was like, ugh. Mm. But then one of those action sequences would happen and I was so enthralled by it and laughing along and it's ridiculous. Let me tell you, some of them are really oh. cheesy and over the top, but I loved it. <laughs> yes. It was really entertaining. And that's all Matthew mm. Vaughan wants. He wants to entertain. He is the ultimate popcorn flick director. Yes. Okay. He's all about commercialism. He wants his movies to sell. He wants people to have a good time. He's none of this artistry mm. wankery. He just wants people to have a good time, make it look good, and make a film that he fucking wants to make. Exactly. It's stylized by design. Everything about what he does put on that celluloid is mm. is considered. I just feel like the substance with the story paired with his really unique flair just didn't land. Mm. Yes, there were about 702 plot twists in this movie, they just ended up literally doing whatever the fuck they wanted. So, and that's like, go for it. Be my guest. Uh, But it felt like the pace of the movie, despite those high octane set pieces, just had no urgency behind them. And we just sitting in scenes for so long and I was just like begging for it to carry forward. But I just didn't mind it. Whenever Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard were on the screen, which was the whole time, yeah. um, that's another thing to mention mm. as well. You know, people are going to go into it looking at the posters, thinking Dua Lipa and Henry Cavill are the main characters. Mm. They're in it for about 10 minutes. Yeah, c- Henry Cavill a bit longer, but... Yeah, maybe 10 minutes, but he only has two lines. Look, c- can we talk about this for a minute? Because as we've already identified, 500 million plot twists, like they, we can't really dive into the story here because... <laughs> hang on, hang on. I just have to say, we went from 702 plot twists to 500 million plot twists. Can we, can we fact check that and get some consistency for our listener, please? Sometimes the truth should never get in the way of a good story. And maybe the, the number, the true number somewhere in the middle there. But there is a lot of movie that you don't see in the trailer. Basically, the trailer is one big fat lie that is both exciting and annoying. Because you sold one movie and getting another, how did you feel about that experience, isolated experience? I enjoyed it because trailers do my head in these days <laughs> that they give away too much. Yeah. You watch a trailer. You know, I sit down with my husband and I go, oh, let's watch this film. What's it like? Let's put on the trailer and see if we might like it. And you end up watching the whole freaking movie in the trailer. And I'm like, well, we don't need to watch it now because I just saw the whole thing. Yeah, just saw it in two and a half minutes or some trailers like three yeah. and a half minutes now, which is just way, yeah. way, way no. too long. No. Okay, so you were pleasantly surprised. You were like, okay, this isn't what I was expecting. I'm going along for the ride then. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yep, I went for it. I went for it. Great. Give me Sam Rockwell. <laughs> he can be my main character anytime. <laughs> Look, he he is so good in anything that he throws himself at and he's clearly having a lot of fun in the role of Aiden. But I will tell you, I saw the film twice, two nights in a row. Yes, right? which was a telltale sign, Lee, that you liked this movie for me. <laughs> yes, because I don't do that. No. no. If I've had to watch the film because I have an interview with one of the cast members or the director or whatever, mm. I then generally won't go and see it again at the premiere mm. because I've already seen it. Time is of the essence. You know, I'm a working mum now. I've got so much on my plate. So Super I mom. just don't have the time. Mm. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's true. I just don't have the time or the patience. There's so many movies to see and so little time. I just don't have the patience. <laughs> <laughs> so I move on to the next one. Yeah. But I wanted to see this one again and I went and saw it a second time. So, yeah, it does tell you that I that I enjoyed it. And what was fun actually seeing it the second time was I could see all the clues that Matthew Vaughan left in plain sight. Mm, okay. And if you're paying attention and you're a fan of spy films, you'll probably figure out the plot twist pretty quickly. But I didn't try. I just went with it and I had a good time. Okay. I, I do see, although I will never watch this movie again, but I do see the the value. <laughs> I won't. I'm just being honest with you. I do see the value in, in rewatch. I'm happy for you. Go for the trifecta. I do see the value in rewatching because there would be a lot to uncover. You're right. And that can be really mm. exciting, especially if you're a fan of the spy genre, which, you know, Matthew Vaughan throws on its head here. What I will Mm. say about the story, which I think is, you know, walking the line in terms of spoiler territory, but we do find ourselves going from the fictitious world to the real world and they sort of blur together. Mm. But one of the things that really irated me about that journey and progression of the story was a device that Matthew Vaughan used that was so over I understand why it was used but it fuck it irritated me was that you were literally in the head of Ellie Conway and you could see her blinking her eyes like mm. constantly I got so annoyed by that I got so annoyed by that right. did that worry you showing up all the time and I felt like you've shown us once mm. or twice we get it you don't need to keep showing us in this way it really pulled me out Right, yeah. It was like the device is that she's blinking across the screen. Yes. Yeah. You're in her head. Yeah, that's 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 a good way of putting it. It just made me think like, oh, my God, is the camera dirty? Is the projector dirty? <laughs> is there a bug flying across the screen? It just – it distracted me from the events every time. So, yeah, clearly this movie irated me. <laughs> One thing I want to talk about with the story before we move on mm. is um, Jason Fuchs, who did the Wonder Woman story. Yeah. He wrote – the screenplay for this one. Mm. But Matthew Vaughan was very much involved. I actually, as we've mentioned, I interviewed Matthew Vaughan and you can watch that interview on YouTube now. He mentioned that he added in a few lines such as the whirly bird catches the worm because <laughs> he invents this dance called the whirly bird for yes. the film and it, and it happens a few times throughout the film. And so there's this really cheesy line in there which is very emblematic of the dialogue throughout the film. Yes, And he admitted in our interview that the writer didn't want to use that. He was like, no, no, no. And Matthew Vaughan is just very much making the film he wants to make. You know, everyone else be damned. This is the way I'm going to make it. So I wonder, you know, Matthew Vaughan usually writes his own films, mm. the ones that he directs, like the Kingsman films. He's very much the central writer and he has a team, Jane Goldman sometimes. And this one he didn't. He's handed over the writing reins to someone else largely. Do you think that made a difference? Huge difference. An absolutely massive difference because he's coming into a story where he tells stories in a particular way. And I feel like with his inclination to go really high energy in Octane, which definitely comes to life in the action sequences, where he wasn't able to keep up that ferocious energy was based on the dialogue and the plot and how it played out. But they weren't his words. There wasn't his story and his script. And I I feel like one of the initial issues with how this film plays out from a writing perspective is that my understanding is that the adaptation 
of this unreleased novel. They just took inspiration from the characters, just springboarded them into their own sort of story. Mm. So it's a concerning fact given the result of the end product. Don't mess with the source material, Mm. assuming it's any good, but no one's read it yet. So I don't know whether (laughs) it still would have come out as clunky as it was, even if they lent more into the novel that this mysterious Australian author uh, actually delivered. So it's like he's taken this IP and and twisted it and commercialised it and marketed it for his own purposes, really. Yeah, and there's an imbalance between Jason's words and Matthew Vaughan's way of directing it. So, yeah, I think you've nailed it. In Mm. terms of my experience with the movie, I think they were at odds with each other. Here's a random little tidbit for you. Please. Jason Fuge is an actor. He's done a lot of acting work, right? Uh, One of his earliest roles was Marvin in Flipper. The Flipper movie with Paul Hogan and Elijah Wood. In the mid-90s? Yeah, he was the little kid with glasses that didn't talk. Oh, well, maybe he also shouldn't write. <laughs> oh, Tim. <laughs> that was mean. Yikes. <laughs> like, I, I appreciate what he was trying to do here, and it's a pretty inventive, wild script. It just didn't land for me, is all I'm saying. It's a tough line to walk, I guess, that tongue-in-cheek piss take of the spy genre, if you will, mm. which is it, it's Matthew Vaughan's whole thing, really. Yeah, maybe it didn't walk the line as well here, but I mean, it really should have because on one hand you've got this fantasy world where they can go really over the top with the spy genre and make it really fun and really outrageous mm. and just poke fun at the whole thing. And then when they hit to the real world, I think the issue people are having is that it it's also quite cheesy and over the top. Yes. So it didn't bring that tonal shift mm. in enough. Yeah, 100%. That's a note that I have for this film is that it really, really works, that heightened sort of reality in, in the fictitious world, in the book world, when those pages, mm. quote unquote, are coming to life. But then when reality blurs in with the fictitious world, it still, yeah, it still lives in that space and it doesn't quite work for me, despite being a real fan mm. of how Matthew Vaughan brings his visual storytelling to life. It's kind of at odds with what it's trying to sell you at the beginning versus the middle versus mm. the end, yeah. Well, I mean, it's no surprise that Matthew Vaughan has such a keen interest in this genre anyway. Mm. The man that he believed was his father for most of his life is the actor Robert Vaughan from the man from Uncle Fame, oh. the original man from Uncle Fame. What with all the facts and tidbits? He believed that man was his father for most of his life. Turns out he's not. And his real dad is actually a godson of King George VI and has the last name Devere Drummond. So his actual last name is Devere Drummond. Oh, oh my God. You've just really – have you gone all Ancestry.com on Matthew Vaughan for this episode? (laughs) I've gone down the rabbit hole of Matthew Vaughan. Here's another one for you. Please. Robert Vaughan, his fake father – is a distant cousin of Sydney Sweeney. Whoa. Okay. Uh, you know, Matthew Vaughan is like Zack Snyder or Wes Anderson or one of those auteurs who have a really distinct, instantly recognisable visual style. Mm. And like those directors, if it's not your cup of tea, you won't like it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But you do like Wes Anderson and Zack Snyder to a point. I love directors who basically throw caution to the wind and do whatever they feel is right in terms of interpreting art onto the screen. You can throw Baz Mm. Luhrmann into the same mix of directors that you listed out before. Mm. They don't always land as a cohesive product depending on what project you're looking at and you either love or hate them, you're right. But I I admire that Mm. way that they challenge 
the tropes of filmmaking and do something different for themselves and the audience. But I mean, Matthew Vaughan does that. He very much suits his own taste. He does. He's very considered of commercialism in everything he does, though, which I guess if you're a cynic, you could get up on your high horse about that, that he's not a real artist or whatever. But I think he is. Um, he really considers branding and marketing. You know what I mean? You look at the Kingsman films mm. and the logos involved in the Kingsman and how everything's got a very distinct look and he's creating these shops. Like you could sell so much merchandise for a Matthew Vaughan film. Absolutely. Like endless. And in this one, you've got toys, you've got books, you've got the Argyle symbol, you've got the Argyle logo. He's done the same thing. So he very much considers the marketing and the commercialism and, and you know, people might turn their noses up at that, but I actually think it's very clever. Making movies is about making money, of course, and you need those big movies that make money in, in order to make those more art house uh, considered films that challenge you in in different ways. So yeah, I, there is definitely and always will be a space for films like Matthew Vaughan's and it's fun. It, it is fun and he does have a real distinct visual style, not only in how the film presents from an action perspective, but then how that can be pulled into the commercial space. Like I reckon you're going to see a lot of uh, cat bags with the you know window out the back that uh, mm. of the design of this movie, even the glass tumblers with the diamond symbol that you see peppered mm. throughout the whole movie. Like there's there's a really nice thing. You go, oh, I like that. I could buy that. Although animal advocacy groups are up in arms actually about that cat bag. They say it's not very good for the cats. Oh, is that right? Oh, that's not good. I mean, look, Matthew Vaughan, he almost just doesn't give a toss, but he, but he does because he is a huge movie fan himself. He wants people to have a good time and enjoy themselves without getting too bogged down in the artistic detail. Mm. He just simply wants it to look cool and entertain. As I said, there's none of that wanky artistry, deeper meaning stuff of his films. And that's not, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. No, not at all. One of the things that I really like about him as a director is how, and you mentioned this at the top of the episode, is how he uses music within his style it's it's front mm. and center how it speaks to the action on the screen it tells the story mm. helps project that uh, to the audience one of the coolest things about this film is how its music kind of marries up with the score that whole disco fun feel mm. uh, so it's definitely its yeah. own character as much as his visual style his audible style is front and center in all yeah. his films and that's by Lorne Balfe designed by Lorne Balfe. And the disco ups the energy of the film for sure. Mm. It gives it that kinetic feel that Matthew Vaughan films are known for. And you have a physical response to it. Like, you know, you're bouncing in your seat or you lean forward during those action scenes, even though they're silly. I mean, there's a really big set piece in this one. We don't want to spoil it, but it involves really colourful smoke mm. screens, like a dance <laughs> in smoke screens. <laughs> and it reminded me of the Kingsman films when the heads explode and coloured smoke come out of them. Like, where is that coming from? But it looks cool. It looks cool. And you <laughs> asked him that exact question in your interview with him. And he goes, I don't know. It's just for yeah. my mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it had me wondering... Like, what is the difference between seeing something silly and unrealistic and rolling your eyes, as you probably did, <laughs> or seeing it and thinking, this looks so cool, I'm having such a good time? I'm not going to say that a lot of these set pieces didn't look cool. Was I having a good time? No. And was there a mix of eye rolling and also quietly applauding? Yes, because I can appreciate 
the skill it takes to pull off something like that and to take mm. a risk. And it is fun and silly and you do have to surrender yourself to it. I guess when these amazing, absolutely ridiculous things took place on screen, I just wasn't sold on the story. And so that just took me out of me enjoying it enough. So it's the story for you. It's definitely the story and the pace of it all and that it just felt so disjointed. I think the difference between those two things, between rolling your eyes and just going with it, it's, it's knowing the intention is to send up the spy genre. And somehow people still expect Matthew Vaughan to be taking it seriously, and he just doesn't. Has he overstayed his welcome in this style? And does he need to bang on a new drum? Maybe. Mm. But actually, he is going to. If you listen to my interview with him, and please do check that out, he talks about the upcoming projects and the different genres that he wants to play in, and I'm really excited for that. It does excite me too, and I don't know how he's going to pull it up, but somehow he'll he'll deliver something that, again, we've never really seen before within that genre <laughs> that he references. Going back to the music just, just for one sec before we move on. He managed to get hold of the last Beatles song, which was only released a couple of months ago. Mm. So before it was released, he was approached by Giles Martin, who is the son of producer George Martin. And he has this song that John Lennon had begun on a demo tape. And using state-of-the-art technology, he and Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr finished the song. And the result is Now and Then, yes, which is a gorgeous song. It really is a gorgeous song. And it's used quite a lot across the life of the film because mm. it tells the story of the titular characters and sort of has a truth behind it. I believe it's in the film for some 10 minutes, which is a significant amount yeah. of time for a song to be present in, in any film. Uh, so it obviously worked for what Matthew yeah. Vaughan was after. And I, I haven't listened to it in isolation, but that's what I'm going to do this weekend because it's a good, it's a good song. <laughs> it is a really good song. And it stands out from the other disco feeling tracks mm. in the film, but somehow fits with the central relationship at its different stages yeah. so well. I mean, Matthew Vaughan said it was perfect for the film and they didn't need to do any edits to make it fit. Like, it just fit perfectly. It was like it was written for the film. Mm, and there's one particular scene towards the end where it shows up where it's kind of juxtaposed with what's happening visually on the screen in some way, yet it, it just works together so well. Mm. So I'll, I'll give it to Vaughan in that sense that he does marry music and action really, really beautifully. Let's talk about the CGI now. Mm. And I think we're going to be on the same page about this. It can be pretty terrible. Speaking of overstaying your welcome, the CGI does be like, hey, over, over here, I'm CGI. Look at me. Look at me. How good do <laughs> Yes. Is it intentional though? Is it intentionally bad CGI? I, I don't think anyone intentionally wants bad CGI, but the budget was $200 million for this film. Jesus. Where did that go? Oh God, don't know. Probably in the <laughs> terrible CGI. Maybe the cost of now and then from the Beatles kind of made a bit of a dent in the bottom line. <laughs> All the actors that are in this film. Yeah, but a lot of them are in it for like three and a half seconds. But just on the CGI, I feel that, Yes, it overstayed its welcome and it showed up in the wrong places in that really obtuse style when we were in the quote-unquote real world compared to the fictitious world. I think it really worked mm -hmm. as a visual language, especially at the beginning of the movie. It made sense. I was like, okay, that gives us a mm -hmm. bit of a difference. But then when the lines start to blur, it was front and centre over and over and that's where I, mm -hmm. I think it was really, really obvious and, and 
didn't really land. It really jarred with the cat, especially. There were some mm. things with the cat. Even when people were holding the cat, like just a scene where they're holding the cat and you could tell it was very obviously a CGI cat. Mm. Mm. You think, why couldn't they just hold the cat? However, I do have to call out that there is a mouth transition in this movie from Henry Cavill into Ellie, mm. into Bryce Dallas Howard. And I think it's the best since the eye transition from young to old Rose in Titanic. It was actually <laughs> magnificent. Yeah. I think the CGI was worked on by the same companies who worked on Harry Potter. And that's where you can see it. Do you remember that god-awful scene in Harry Potter when he's on the broomstick and he's getting, like, thrown around <laughs> or, like, the he's fighting the ogre or the troll or whatever it is? Yeah, like plasticine on a broom. Yeah, and it, but the it looks really terrible. Like, they couldn't animate people. It was really bad. Same thing here. Dua Lipa's taking off on a motorbike and, Jesus, it looks awful. Yes, it's like a rag doll being thrown around on a bike because mm. she's not in the movie for very long. And she's in it even less because it's not actually her on the bike most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I want to shed some light on the action and choreography, Mm. why it might not feel exactly like a Kingsman film or or something. Did you feel it was as tight as the Kingsman films? No, it wasn't as tight. It it wasn't as exciting action as Kingsman for me. Mm -mm. Matthew Vaughan's stunt coordinator, Brad Allen, who has worked on all his films and and worked on some Jackie Chan films. Mm. He's very talented. Sadly, he passed away before filming and he had begun designing the stunts for this film and it was left to his colleagues to finish what he started and and design the rest. So there probably is a disconnect there between Matthew Vaughan's previous films and and this one. Mm, That's a really sad series of events, isn't it? Mm. Someone doesn't see their work come to life. I mean, but some of the fight sequences are really impressive, especially when you think that Henry Cavill and Sam Rockwell had to do the exact same fight on the train in exactly the same way Mm. each time at the exact same speed to make it marry together. Yes, and in terms of where the editing worked in conjunction with that, wow, that that sequence is so impressive Mm. technically uh, because also Henry Cavill is enormous and Sam Rockwell presumably not so much. So even just the blocking, the precision around that is something to be like, look, Mm. that's impressive. That would have taken months and months of training and blocking. So that that was amazing actually to see play out, to be honest. I loved seeing Sam Rockwell do that kind of action too. I don't know if I've seen him do it very much like that to that level, but this is going to turn into the Sam Rockwell show. Hold on to your butts. (laughs) Hold on to your butts. I won't hold you back, Lee. I won't Mm -hmm. hold you back. Speaking of Sam Rockwell, Henry Cavill may be the stereotypical suave spy in this, but Sam Rockwell has all the charm. I had to actively stop myself from swooning into a puddle on the floor both times that I watched this (laughs) film. Ew, it's gross. Yeah. (laughs) He's an Oscar winner and he makes anything ten times better. He's so magnetic in this. I, I had some conversations with friends about it and they reckon the whole film was completely miscast which you know maybe maybe not but I I thought Sam Rockwell was very well cast here and he gave everything but did did you want a little tidbit from me is that that beard Mm -hmm. that he dons at the beginning of the film is actually his beard and he'd been growing it for two years 
Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> in anticipation of this film? Or was that a COVID beard? Was I it? think it was a COVID beard, but I'm trying to recall whether I'd mm. seen him rocking that bad boy on his face over the last couple of years, and I, I can't recall. So I just, it did look ridiculous, especially with his like long Jesus hair as well. But yeah, it was his real beard. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> we all know I'm a huge fan of Henry Cavill. <laughs> Here, as I said, he's the typical spy. He gets to play that Bond character that we all wanted for him. We all prayed for him. Now he's potentially too old for. Yeah, I think you need to move on from the Henry Cavill Bond consideration, <laughs> unfortunately. Go. I can't let it go. I won't <laughs> let it go. Let it go, Elsa. Let it go. Uh, can I just look the obvious? That fucking hair. My God. <laughs> That is not a haircut that you're going to see injected into the streets of Melbourne. Certainly not. It's not going to I be. I don't know. Can I have the Argyle cut? Being asked uh, to the barber. Not at all. My friend Peter said that he looked like Uncle Fester. Look at that coat, the square shoulders. And then he almost <laughs> had like Lurch's hair. And now I can't unsee it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, you can have that one for free. <laughs> I don't know about that. I reckon we might see it walking around the streets with a bit of a mullet added, an Australian special. Oh, oh, please. There are some things we do well and some things we don't, and the mullet we do not do well. It's very Eric Banner pointer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's perfect. Pointer. Pointer. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard, who is the central character in this film, mm. is a seriously underrated actor. She plays it so well here and without spoilers, there are some nuances to her performance here where you see this like subtle shift in just her eyes and a slight twitch of a muscle Mm. and immediately you can read what's happening in her mind and on her face. I just, I loved her performance in this. She was great in this because she embodies very subtle but then obtuse shifts in character and she pulls it off. She has a lot to do and a lot to work with here and you're right, it's all in her eyes. Her character is like this reclusive spy thriller novelist and she's married to her work. She's a cat mum, not a cat lady. Very important distinction, apparently. (laughs) So, But you see her grow into this whole other person in this film. And it's actually quite astonishing to to compare her performance at the beginning to the end. Uh, And I agree, she is a very underrated actress. I I always like to see her. Another tidbit in case people don't know this, she's Ron Howard's daughter. There you go. Bryce Dallas Howard. It is in the name, but some, yeah. (laughs) Some people might not know. Brian Cranston Mm. is in this film and he is just chewing up the scenery, over-the-top villain, having a great time. He is so good. He's cunning, dangerous, and you feel it. There's something about his conviction when he's delivering bad guy lines and and his Mm -hmm. raspy voice. And he's really, really threatening. Uh, He's great. I've just adored watching his career shift from the bumbling dad in Malcolm in the Middle to then, what is it, Breaking Bad, and then now he's just yeah. he's kicking all his roles out of the park. I love yeah. to see him as a bad guy especially. He's not so scary as Walter from Breaking Bad uh, in no. this one. He's a bit more campy villain. Oh, definitely. Spy, Bond villain. Yes, yes. Campy Bond villain vibes for sure. And then you've got Catherine O'Hara, who we love in everything, and she is Ellie's mother in this film. Yeah, a bit of a smother, a smothering mother, controlling, supportive, but wants, you know, Ellie Mm. to consider what she's suggesting. 
very thoughtful mum, but there's some really surprising aspects of her character and then also her performance that is great. She just balances like humor, drama, and menace so well. It's a it's a really, really yeah. delicate balance to get right, but she's such a talented actress that, you know, you can just trust her with delivering that. Can I ask you about Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard's chemistry? I've seen a lot of sentiment that they have no chemistry. I thought they were fantastic together. It depends how you interpret the word chemistry. I think they were great on-screen partners, sort of the buddy cop sort of vibe. But then when you're talking about chemistry, when it comes to a deeper relationship, I didn't feel the connect uh, that maybe you had there. Really? I thought they were so good together. Mm. I told you I was a puddle on the floor. (laughs) Sam Rockwell. (laughs) (laughs) Clean up on aisle one. My stars. Somebody hand me my fan. (laughs) I do declare it's getting awfully warm in here. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Oh, dear. Is there anyone else you want to talk about from this stacked cast? I mean, Ariana DeBose, she's not in it for very long either. No. But she's so good as well. Yeah, John Cena, the muscle with brains. I I do want to call out Dua Lipa. And this was the beginning Mm. of the end for me because I found her really, really short performance the most interesting thing of the film. She just pulled off that. She was very good. That glamorous mystery in playing a bad guy. And despite her being Harry Potter on a broomstick on a motorbike towards the end, um, (laughs) I, I, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't wait to see more of her character. And unfortunately that's not how it played out. So when your favorite character and performance of the film comes and goes, and then there's still two hours, 15 minutes left, it's like, well, what else is there to say? (laughs) And you would think technology would have come a bit further from the first Harry Potter films by now. What was that? 20, 20 odd years ago? Yeah. 2001 was the first Harry Potter. There's still much to learn in the CGI space. It seems. I mean, I couldn't do what they do, so I should probably shut my mouth. Well, true, yes. Um, Credit where credit's due, I guess. Put us in front of a CGI computer, whatever it's called. I'm not sure we get a great (laughs) result. (laughs) Get stick figures. Get stick figures. Even my stick figures don't look like stick figures. I tell you what, I cannot draw for shit. It's not a skill of mine. Yeah, me either. All right, Lee, what do you reckon? Should we uh, wrap up and, and deliver our rating for Argyle for our listener? Let's do it. How about you go first, Tim? Okay, sure. You just come, you basically want to end on a more positive note here. I, I can pick up what you're putting down. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know me so well. And that's fine. We'll, we'll leave with uh, something nicer than what I'm about to throw down. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I can't remember the last time I was this bored in a movie. Argyle did almost nothing for me, but I would be lying if I said I didn't enjoy some elements of the distinct style and unabashed flair of director Michael Vaughan, which excited me from time to time. A stacked cast who didn't do a lot, the trailer was better than the film, and marketed such a different product you will either love or hate what you're walking into and then out of. I'm going to rate Argyle one and a half popcorn kernels. Tim, that's a bit harsh. Well, I think I made that clear (laughs) at the top of the episode. Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Well, Argyle is a bold, fun, silly spy romp that is exactly Matthew Vaughan. And if you aren't sure whether you like his style of tongue-in-cheek popcorn flick filmmaking, then this one probably won't be for you. If you can roll with the twists and turns and laugh along with the outrageous flourishes, then you will have a blast. A colourful, over-the-top, twist-and-crush time. (laughs) Come back and see us after you've watched the film to get that one. I see what you did there. I'm giving Argyle three and a half popcorn kernels out of five. There you go friends. Now Argyle is in Australian cinemas from February 1 so go check it out and find out whether you're more on Lee's side or my side. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And you can watch our interview with director Matthew Vaughan over on YouTube now. Thank you so much friends and as always, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.